You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10, Nirvana vs. Guns N' Roses. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Yeditja. And my name is Corniel. Huh? Who, huh? who said that? I said that Sietse. It's our special guest. Because today we're not uh, going to be with the two of us, but we're going to have a special guest on. And it's Mr. Corniel Evers. So Corniel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think uh, most people in the Netherlands will probably know you as an actor and a, and a comic. But to be honest, to me, you'll always be the guy who sings in the rock bands that my brother uh, is in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm now 41 years old and I started uh, when I was 15 years old and uh, like always with your brother. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know you very. I uh, heard in the podcast, I'm a, I'm a listener of your uh, the Nirvana podcast, and I heard you saying you were 40 years old, but I'm a bit younger than your brother, I guess. So, yeah. But in my mind, you were always like much younger than me because I hang, <laughs> uh, I was hanging out with your brother and you were the little brother. Yeah. You're only uh, one year, <laughs> one year younger than I am. Kind, I kind of had uh, the same experience uh, the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> but I look much older than you. That's, that's a thing. Well, we ask you to be a, a guest on our show because I think you're the biggest Guns N' Roses fan that I know maybe even of the Netherlands. What do you think? I, I think I'm the biggest Guns N' Roses fan I know. <laughs> and, I lo- I, and I know a lot of them. <laughs> we thought it was a good idea to uh, have an episode dedicated to Nirvana's, well, greatest nemesis, you could say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, we needed somebody to uh, defend their honor. And we're really happy uh, that you're on. And we'll try to keep it uh, civilized, of course. <laughs> yeah, we're we're online, so we can't fight. So it's gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah. Just for the listeners uh, to make sure that they keep on listening, you're an, you're a Nirvana fan as well. I'm a very big Nirvana fan as well. But if I have to choose, like I think Appetite for Destruction is like the best album ever, ever, ever made. And I was I think 11 years old when uh, a neighbor uh, guy gave me a tape, a cassette with Appetite for Destruction. And I think uh, my life changed because I heard music I really loved from the first moment I listened to it. And I knew I wanted to make music from that moment on. Uh, Nirvana made me learn how to play music because I just had a guitar and and, and uh, Guns N' Roses, you listen to it, you think, oh, I can never do that. I can never play <laughs> Switch Out of Mind. But then uh, Nevermind came and I played it all day, all day, lying in, lying in bed with a guitar and, and learning how to play really fast because yeah, yeah, it's genius, but simple. So for musicians, it's great to learn, to learn how to play. So I'm really thankful to Nirvana for that. Yeah. Um, and if you say that uh, Appetite for Destruction, uh, which is Guns N' Roses' debut album, right? Yeah, yeah. That it changed your life. In in what way did it change your life? Yeah, I I was just a young kid, eleven years old. You you hear uh, music your parents play. Uh, my parents liked the Beatles, the Everly Brothers, Cliff Richard, uh, that kind of stuff. And I heard music that was uh, playing on the radio. So the what we call the top forty. So from disco to to a bit of rock. But then I heard like these real guitars. Uh, real anger in music and uh, real hard-hitting drums. 
And yeah, it just felt like this is my scene. I have to go this direction in my life. Yeah. Shall we listen to just a a little piece of that just to get into the right mindset? Yeah, just one album. Imagine you're 11 years old. You're the the only harder music you know is is like Bon Jovi and the Final Countdown from <laughs> Europe and uh, yeah. ju- Jump from uh, Van Halen. And and then exactly this was the first thing I heard on that cassette. And it's just it's really Welcome to the Jungle. It's, it's, it says it all. This this was it. I'm sure everybody listening knows at least a bit about uh, Guns N' Roses. I mean. I had a look at their uh, Greatest Hits album and I thought, oh yeah, I know pretty much all the songs on there. Would you mind giving our listeners just a very short introduction to the band, like where they come came from, how their career more or less developed, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here? Uh, Guns N' Roses was a band uh, which started in uh, Hollywood, LA. Duff McGagan, the bass player, he came from Seattle, actually, it's a... Uh, and uh, you had Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin. They came from the same town. And then you had uh, Slash and Steven Adler. They came from L.A. And they were really L.A. guys, like the surfer, skateboard dudes. And uh, you had this band um, that was with Tracy Guns. I think Slash was in it and Steve, uh, Steven Adler used to play in it. And then you had um, Izzy and Axl they also they were in a band called Hollywood Rose, and then uh, they mixed the two bands together, and there was Guns N' Roses, uh, but still with another guitar player and another drummer. And then they had a tour, a Duff arranged a tour. He didn't want to play only in L.A., so they uh, went uh, to Seattle and back. But then the, the drummer and the guitar player, they didn't feel like it. So they knew these guys who called themselves Road Crew. It was just a two-piece band. He asked them, can you join us? And then in that, in that van, in the, on that road trip, uh, which was a hell tour because the van broke and they had to call friends to drive them all the way there with the instruments and they hitched hiked apart. But then they grew as a band. And then there was this, um, yeah, this LA, typical LA band. They looked like the, the glam rockers before them. But they weren't as polished. Like you have this glam rock sound, which is really polished, really well produced. And I think Duff brought in some punk. So it was really honest and, and a bit louder and a bit angrier. And they lived together and they, they were using drugs. And um, yeah, and, and once they got to the bigger stages, they're like all the whiskey, a go-go and that kind of places. Uh, yeah, then they got this record label and when uh, Appetite for Destruction came out, it exploded for them. They were like the biggest band in the world till Nirvana came around. Uh, what year was their uh, debut album released? 87. 
I think they are the, the step between the 80s, like the glam rock sound, and what became rock and grunge after that. I think they're really the the step in between. Because it wasn't yeah, as poly- especially the Appetite for Destruction album. I think the Usual Illusion albums are more polished and more produced. And uh, especially this first album was really, it, it had that bit of anger, punk rock in it, which grunge totally had, of course. And the glam rock didn't really have. Yeah, and I think the whole music business changed with grunge. Like, it wasn't cool anymore to be this big rock stars. And I think Guns N' Roses was like the last real big band who also acted like rock stars. Like, uh, from the book, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's have a listen to uh, Slash talking about that. It's it's often been painted that the end of Guns N' Roses and that era of music was over because of bands like Nirvana. Did you guys hate Nirvana? Did you hate what they were about? Yeah, uh, no. I mean, Nirvana was great. I think that but they were critical of guys like you. They're like, well, oh, I mean, they were, I mean, I really, with with all due respect to um, to Kurt and, and and Courtney and all that, there was some issues that happened having to do with Axel that I felt like they were totally right. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I mean, you know, it's. Like, you know, it's one thing to be, you know, recognized and famous and stuff. But it's an, it's a whole different trip. You sort of take your own chances when you start acting like that. Right, know? right. But anyway, and there were some issues, but I never, I always thought that the 90s was one of the, the early 90s was a really healthy sort of page for rock and roll. Even though it meant, but even though it meant the end of... It, go- didn't, it didn't mean shit. We were... It meant the end of a certain kind of rock and roll. It did. Well, it ended that, I mean, it was sort of that transition from hair bands and so on, right. which actually started ending after Guns made it anyway. It right. started to sort of dissipate. But uh, when they came in, there was a new thing going on. But we were still playing stadiums, and, we, and if you, we'd stayed together. We would have just right. And you yeah. and you agreed with the criticisms that Nirvana was making about Axel. Well, there was. I just I remember what was going down, and and you know those criticisms were like, you know, I mean, all things considered, I sort of agree. Right. Yeah. No, but that's uh, crazy, man. But um, uh, anyway, but that was a that was a cool period. So, but I don't think that it had. It, you know, there was all that talk about like we'll grunge into the whatever. It's it, like for us, it had nothing to do with that. Right. Yeah. So gr- grunge wasn't the arch enemy. No, 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 no. Yeah. At least Slash didn't see them as like the arch enemy. Uh, neither did Axel, because it's pretty well documented in a video that uh, uh, Axel Rose actually was a big Nirvana fan in the beginning. Yeah, it was fun, like you were saying about Nirvana, uh, wearing, uh, Vaseline shirts and, uh, that kind of, that kind of things. And Axel also did that. When he really liked the band, he was wearing shirts of those bands. And, and Nirvana was one of them, but then they met. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, because, uh, what you're referring to is that they had a, a video shoot for, I think, the Don't Cry video. Of Guns Roses. Don't, don't drive video. He wears a, a, a purple hat with the yellow Nirvana on it. And a Red Hot Chili Peppers shirt, I think. Yeah. So he was definitely supporting them. Then he really wanted to meet the band. I think uh, he tried to come backstage and then uh, <laughs> Nirvana kind of kind of s- snuck out so they didn't have to have to meet him face to face. Axel wanted them to open for them for Guns N' Roses. Axel's known for being really picky who, uh, about who has to open for Guns N' Roses, so he must have been a big fan of their music. Yeah, and it, it was actually, it was a very nice gesture, right? I mean, before Guns N' Roses broke, they were also touring with the bands that were big at the time, like Aerosmith yeah. and stuff. So they thought, well, we just got to give them a chance to 
get to a bigger stage, present themselves to more people. But it didn't yeah, it was really like what out. what Aerosmith and uh, the Rolling Stones did for Guns N' Roses. So he want, I think he wanted to do the same. Yeah, yeah, uh, it didn't go that well. Although uh, in the beginning, Kurt wasn't too negative about it. Here's something uh, he said about touring uh, with Guns N' Roses in an interview. There are a few rebellious rock and roll qualities Guns N' Roses have that I kind of like. Do you ever see yourselves playing with bands like that? Too? Yeah. Yeah, I, we're thinking about um, going on tour with Guns N' Roses for a couple of weeks, just for the hell of it, because it'd be a ridiculous thing, you know, mm. it's just so funny. Mm. If you have the chance, go for it. It's not a career move, necessarily, it's just, it'd be funny, mm. you know. We'd never have to worry about meeting the band or anything, because they never hang yeah, around with each true. other anyhow. Yeah. It'd just be kind of a thrill to play in front of that many people yeah like a joke yeah there's some sarcasm in it also like you will never meet the band and you will never yeah. see them because they don't <laughs> hang around together so he's 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 going on the gossip that was that was already there and it was true actually yeah do you get what he's saying about that it would be a joke that would be funny to open for them I guess where Nirvana comes from, they, they see themselves and they saw themselves as uh, this alternative band playing, uh, more punk band playing punk audiences. So lower stages where people can stage dive and, and like this, yeah, smaller venues. That's, that's was, I think, the greatest in their, their heads to play, like being really close to the crowd and have these punk rock shows. So uh, playing stadiums for Nirvana. Yeah, that's, I can imagine he, he would think that as a, he would see it as a joke. Yeah, I can imagine Kurt thinks that, yeah. It didn't necessarily have to be like a big rivalry between the two bands, but it, it kind of became to be. How did you experience that? Were you torn between the two? It was uh, hard for me. Like you have this, uh, when I was in high school, you had these all these kids like really supporting one band. And if you like Guns N' Roses, you could not like Nirvana, but I already liked both of them. In my, in my room, I was just playing them side to side i could understand where axel was coming from like he also said once on stage and he talked about alternative music and then he uh, turned to uh, about kurt cobain like he uh, and he told like the the audience to the audience he doesn't like you he doesn't want you you're not good enough for him to like his music because you're with so many he wants it only small he wants to keep it alternative and i think uh, axel really didn't understand and i th i think i didn't really understand that part because I wanted to be like in the biggest band ever. So I was really jealous of Nirvana and Guns N' Roses and I didn't really understand why Kurt Cobain wanted to keep it small. What yeah. could be better than playing for thousands and thousands of people who really love your music? But but, but you never felt like you had to make a, a choice between the two of them? No, no, I didn't want to. I, I, I really wanted to love the music and uh and i was like a big guns N roses fan like really a big 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 fan and i loved nirvana but i was a real big guns N roses fan so if i had to choose if somebody yeah. put a gun on my head and i have to choose i i chose guns N roses but in my room i had those both both albums and i didn't have to choose i just yeah. played them both <laughs> you were so wise i mean for me personally, I never really gave Guns N' Roses a chance just because I read 
that 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 Kurt said that they sucked, <laughs> and I, I was really really late getting into that kind of music because Kurt had had already died. There was no real reason not to like Guns N' Roses or not to give him a chance. And I would see them on TV with uh, "You Could Be Mine," of course, was was played a lot and and, and stuff like that. But uh, no, I thought no, Kurt said that they were evil and stupid, so. <laughs> oh, oh, you missed out. <laughs> I, I did miss out. So, that's, yeah, that's a shame because it was actually interesting when I was looking back at the timeline of Nirvana and Guns N' Roses. I actually, I didn't realize that there was actually quite a couple of years in between them because, like in my mind, there were sort of yeah, sure, Guns N' Roses was first, but I felt like Nirvana was pretty close after them, while in fact. That wasn't, let's say, not the biggest breakthrough of Nirvana, at least. There was a couple of years in between. And I, I found really interesting what you were saying, Cornell, about having first Guns N' Roses, like opening up that whole realm of, of music and then Nirvana coming after that and, and sort of pushing through. Because that's like for me as well, I was also in, in, in high school. And then like first you get that Guns N' Roses and you're like, oh, what, what the hell? What's happening here? And then getting all of that other music after that, that journey through that is just quite amazing. So it's really interesting to... Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry you, you missed out on that seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you say, it's like it started for me like late 80s, like with Guns N' Roses. But then uh, if you ask me, what's your favorite period of music? It's, it's the 90s. The guitar yep. music yeah. of the 90s. Exactly. It's like yeah. my music. It's what I grew up in when I was a teenager. You have to listen to it all, man, Sietse. Except for Bon Jovi, you can skip that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless uh, they're covering uh, Nirvana, of course, but uh, that's a uh, yeah, whole yeah, different yeah, kind of true. story. <laughs> well, um, we don't have time to listen to it all, but uh, maybe um, you can show me and perhaps other listeners uh, just a little bit of uh, what I missed out on. I've got some uh, Guns N' Roses track lined up that you uh, requested. Is there anyone in particular you'd like to showcase? Do you have Reckless Life? I do from the top, like the with the way the drum kicks in and and then the guitars really are yelling to you. It's ah, it's great, man. Okay. Listen to it. Here we go. This, this really sound a lot like ACDC. Don't you think? Yeah, of course. And like <laughs> Axel is the singer of ACDC now, right? <laughs> oh, right. Of course, <laughs> exactly. yeah. I think this is why <laughs> they sense. chose. No, but this is this is uh, from the uh, Live Like a Suicide EP, which was released before Appetite was released because uh, it took too long and the direct company wanted to put something out. And uh, this is actually not a live album. But because the sound was not really good in their eyes, they put the, the audience underneath it so people would think, okay, it's a live album and it sounds really good for a live album. Uh, by the way, I have a very special version of A Reckless Life uh, lined up. Let's uh, check that out as well. 
this is uh, my band and uh, we did a few shows uh, covering Reckless Life and I know this uh, this show uh, particularly because uh, we put it at the end of the show and that was like the stupid most stupid move <laughs> to do because it's so high and uh, I think in the middle of the show at the beginning I could sing it all and now I just was screaming all the time and uh, so this was uh, the result of that this is the guides it's my band and uh Yeah, we used to cover Reckless Life on live shows, yeah. Did ACDC call you already or? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually was waiting for Guns N' Roses to call me, but then actually started <laughs> to sing again. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> When Scott Whalen was asked for Velvet Revolver, I was really disappointed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's those hard moments in life. <laughs> hard moments in life, but we got through. So um, let's uh, get back to the whole uh, Nirvana and Guns N' Roses uh, thing that, that happened. Yeah, um, yeah. So in the beginning, um, Guns N' Roses really liked Nirvana, wanted to support them. They basically said, well, no, thank you. Sometimes made some uh, jokes about them. Um, so they weren't really friendly. But at the same time, they were um, at the same record label. They never seemed to mention that, the Nirvana guys. They always said, yeah, we're on the same record label as Sonic Youth, but they never said we're on the same <laughs> label as, uh, as Guns N' Roses. When I was reading um, the Heavier Than Heaven a book from, uh, about Kurt Cobain, yep. like the way he, he practiced with the band and the way he wanted the other band members to be there every day and practice to be the best they could be, uh, he was really uh, like Axel in a way. You know, really controlling uh, the band, and um, and then when the moment comes when you really make it, you're at Gavin, uh, the same label as Guns N' Roses. You're uh, selling as many records as Guns N' Roses did. Like Guns N' Roses had the image they wanted to be this big rock band, and they wanted to play these big stages and stadiums, and and Nirvana never did, but. I, I was always surprised by those remarks because I thought you are now the, like the biggest rock star in the fucking world. The weird thing also is um, both of the bands sort of cultivated their image um, in that regard because when you when you just look at their videos and stuff like that, you see the whole LA glamorous vibe in in Guns N' Roses and like having the supermodels in in the videos and everything looks shiny and whatever and oh it's the most expensive video ever made and whatever but on the other hand you see Nirvana in their videos cultivating also their image of oh no we're grunge and and we're not glamorous and and everything looks like dreary and sometimes we don't even really make a video we just want some images from a live show or whatever so it's still the same thing it's just that it's easier to say like oh Guns N' Roses is like being big and glamorous because that was what their image was but Nirvana was sort of being big and non-glamorous <laughs> in the same way I, I think I think what speaks for them both is that I think they were the biggest in their kind of music in their era uh, because they were real, you know. Like Guns N' Roses wasn't playing this band; they really lived in this crack house uh, with only leather leather pants and big hair. And then then you had uh, Nirvana, who really were these guys who 
that was nice about Nirvana. They, those were the guys I went to school with. You know, you you hung with them and you you smoked some weed with them. Th- those were Nirvana. Those, those just were your friends. But they both made a lot of money and they still bought these crappy clothes and they <laughs> exactly. spent it on new guitars and, and, and leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt became a big rock star really, really fast. But I think he just wanted to be like a different kind of rock star. I mean, not just Nirvana, but like all of those grunge guys, they were more like the, the sensitive guys, you know, the, the, the lyrical content was different. I think if he would live now, he would be like the wokest person alive. I think he started <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff and, and Guns N' Roses wasn't woke at all. I think that no. was the biggest difference between the two. And uh, I think I understand Guns N' Roses in their time and the way they had to uh, make a living from really having nothing. And um, so I I think you wanted to play the song One in a Million. I think that's like a big thing uh, also for Kurt, why he really didn't like them. Immigrants and faggots, they make no sense to me. Some fucking disease. They talk so many goddamn ways. It's all Greek to me. Well, some say I'm lazy. Yeah, that that wasn't very woke. <laughs> I, but I think this part wasn't even the biggest problem because this was not a woke joke, but it was kind of a joke. Like it's all Greek to me. It's. On the immigrants and faggots he he, uh, he talked about. I think this was more or less like a joke. But it started... Um, it's a song that he uh, came to Hollywood. Like this really small town white boy. He said police and the N-word. Those were the first guys he saw when he ga- came up to this Greyhound bus. And he uh, walked into the city and he had nothing. And those were the people bothering him in his mind at that time. And it was a problem all over the world. But um, the most impact was that uh, Slash, his mother, was a black woman. And uh, she was really sad sad about this song. And Slash felt terrible that uh, Axel really wanted to keep his story. I think Kurt Cobain really disliked this kind of things Axel did. And I understand Axel in a way because I think this was really truly honest he came in a city he didn't know he saw things he didn't know and he wrote them down but he um didn't think about the the impact it would have when you you sell it to millions millions of people i can understand it and i i respect his honesty in a, in a way later in the song he says radicals and racists don't point your finger at me so he explains a bit but that never got to the tabloids of course but yeah, Kurt Cobain was really for women's rights, and 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 yeah, he was he was like really woke. He would be really woke these days. Yeah. What I always found strange because we were talking about they had like the same record label and whatever is that this song made it to the album. I mean, <laughs> it was quite clearly controversial and and would rub people the wrong way, and rightly so. It made it to the album, while all the same, uh, we've talked about it. In, in previous episodes that 
the title Rape Me was a problem on <laughs> the Nirvana album and had to be had to be taken off or changed or whatever to to sell it. Is it just because these lyrics were in the song and not in the title? Or do you know anything about like how the record label reacted to this? Because this must have been a problem for them. The record label wasn't really happy about it, but uh, Axel convinced them. He was like this, uh, I think, a bit like Kurt, like it has to be my way or the highway. There was also this thing that uh, when Appetite for Destruction came out, and this is on Journalize, it's a bit later, but when Appetite for Destruction came out, there was this... Um, wife of a congressman in america she uh invented the explicit lyrics uh stickers on albums tipper gore <laughs> yeah and and appetite for destruction was one of the first albums to have that sticker so every youngster wanted to buy it so i i also think the the record label maybe like uh, especially the the financial guys over there who wanted to make money thought yeah there's some money in guns and roses also because of the controversy like, yeah, true. if there's controversy, we're going to sell records. So I read about that they said, mm, is this a good idea? But then Axel convinced them because he told, yeah, this is my story and it's just honest and this is the way I see it. And it were, were different times. It were just, and luckily it are different times, but they were. And it's questionable whether or not you really did have a problem with uh, gay people. Because one of the first memories I have uh, of Axel Rose is him performing at the Freddie Mercury uh, tribute concert. He sang Bohemian Rhapsody together with Elton John, I think. Elton John, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, if he had a real big problem with uh, gay people, he, uh, yeah, it was kind of uh, misplaced there. I think there were problems between Elton John and uh, Axel. Axel always was a really big fan, like musically. And then uh, Elton John heard also something and he didn't really, uh, he told the press he didn't really like that from Axel. But then again, they play together. He's uh, also mentioned as a good co-writer on You Could Be Mine, Elton John. So, yeah, they must have had this musical uh, click, I guess. Or Elton John wanted to be famous for a while. <laughs> and playing with the biggest band in the world. I don't know. But they, they seem to like each other later on. Axel and Kurt never really resolved their problems, uh, I think. Uh, of course, they uh, culminated at the VMAs. Uh, very, very famously, uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but uh, I, I think uh, we can't uh, can't deny it. Uh, you were already mentioning Axel's speech on stage. Uh, let's just listen to it. We've had our share of problems with so-called alternative bands. What is this word? I mean, I didn't find myself using it. Alternative. Like someone who leads an alternative lifestyle. All I know is that when Guns N' Roses started, ain't no fucking radio stations wanted to play our shit either. Ain't no radio stations wanted to play Metallica. So I think we have the world's biggest alternative crowd here tonight. And I think uh, there he made a pretty good uh, argument. I mean, this far I'd say, yeah, I, I get where he's coming from. That's, that's a fair point. But then he goes on. <laughs> I think that the, the problem starts when uh, you start thinking that you're different from everybody else on the fucking planet. 
you may be a little different in what you're doing or how you're going about doing it, but I got a good feeling that you're probably a human. Right? You're probably a human being. And so right now, alternative, only thing that means to me is someone like Kurt Cobain in Nirvana, who basically is a fucking junkie with a junkie wife. And if the baby's born deformed, I think they both ought to go to prison. That's my feeling. And he's too good and too cool to bring his rock and roll to you. Because the majority of you, he doesn't like or want to play to or even have you like his music. It seems to be a general feeling among a lot of alternative bands that they don't want the majority of people even liking them. They, they like it on the outside. So, yeah, um, he went there. Uh, that was a, a really low blow, of course. Um, yeah. And also, uh, I um, have a strong feeling that uh, most of the members of his band were, were also very heavy drug users and junkies. This isn't the first time Axel speaks about drugs uh, uh, during a show because he also uh, told the, uh, the crowd several times that he would uh, stop playing if the, his friends weren't, uh, da uh, weren't stopping uh, dancing with Mr. Brownstone. So I think somewhere in this, it is also because this these were the days that the band was really... They were really like on heroin and cocaine and and alcohol. They were re and and Axel never really uh, went that far. Uh, talking about addiction, he drank some. And he he must have used some, but he never went to the addict stage. So I can imagine this also was a message to the band actually, because he did that on several occasions. Okay, and of course. It's it's a low blow uh, towards uh, Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain. Yeah, he did that all the time. If there was like something of a fight, he would use the next show to uh, to speak about it to get a big applause. And uh, the funny thing is, he has a very solid point about he doesn't want to play for you, and all the alternative bands don't want you to like their music. Uh, he has a very solid point in my in my opinion. And then he does this, and you think, yeah. <laughs> no, don't make it personal. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing that I think you see it throughout music history. Um, let's say that the, the heavy drug users are also the, the first ones to denounce drug usage um, in their surroundings or in themselves. I mean, we all know about... Elvis doing uh, the "Don't Do Drugs" uh, <laughs> promo uh, promo tapes uh, yeah. uh, while uh, using uh, a lot of uh, weird stuff himself. It sort of comes with the territory, I guess. In this case, dragging the unborn child in it is is like the lowest you can go. But yeah, they had something to to fight about, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And um, this speech was um, like a couple of weeks before uh, the VMAs. Uh, the video music oh, really? awards, the event by uh, yeah. I didn't know MTV. that. So that kind of um, yeah heated things up, and then what the world got to see was uh, Nirvana performing a Lithium, and that ended uh, like this.
and I, th- I think nobody really knew um, what that was about. Dave Grohl screaming "Hi, actual, hi, actual" in the in the microphone. Um, but later they told this story over and over again on stage in interviews uh, about what happened uh, backstage between Kurt Courtney and Axel. Well, apparently Axel was in a really bad mood. Something set him off uh, probably just minutes before our encounter with him. And we, were, we were in the food tent and I was holding Francis and, and he came strutting by with five of his huge bodyguards and a, and a person with a movie camera and uh, Courtney jokingly screamed out at him Axel will you be the godfather of our child and everyone laughed we had a few friends around us in their 80 um, and he just stopped it in his tracks and started screaming at us all these abusive words and um, he told me that I, if I didn't he told me I should shut my bitch up. And so I looked over at Courtney and said, shut up, bitch. <laughs> and everyone started howling in laughter and laughter. And Axel just kind of blushed and yeah. ran away. And then afterwards, you know, Dave, after we were done playing our song, I was, have you seen a copy of that? It's pretty funny. Yeah, Dave was screaming high axle, and then Duff wanted to beat Chris up afterwards. But as sometimes I think we have to realize how young all these guys were, mm. like yeah. Guns N' Roses and Nirvana. They were really, really young. And I, I don't know, you played in, in a band, uh, Sietse? Not really. No, okay. <laughs> I tried I to. Did, I did, and it was like a big sport to, to hate the other band and to... Uh, annoy them and uh, to uh, change their guitars on stage and uh, <laughs> they, I think they all also uh, enjoyed it a bit that they had this thing they could talk about both of them yeah in a way I mean they could project them their anger on somebody else and it was also a way to to set themselves apart I think by saying look they are whatever they are the, the bad guys the stupid guys the the lousy band, we're the cool guys or we're the good guys here. So I, th- I think yeah, that has yeah, yeah. probably something to do with it. And I, th- I think that's why, especially Kurt told the story about what happened backstage uh, a lot of times. We actually already uh, played uh, one of his accounts uh, of the events uh, on the podcast before. Yeah, and Axel, Axel was an asshole at the time. You know, he, he screwed over his bandmates. He made them sign contracts like uh, the name of Guns N' Roses was his and not theirs while they were totally strung out. And, and he fought many, uh, many occasions with people. So I think Kurt maybe was lucky <laughs> like Axel ran away. Yeah. Because I think Axel was a bit stronger at that time. But yeah, it sounds like typical. Typically, Axel also, yeah. Yeah, but it's so childish. Uh, also, the response of Kurt, because he goes on by telling that uh, after they walked off, after their performance, he saw a piano standing there and uh, he knew that um, Axel was going to perform. So he spit on the piano keys. And then later he found out that it was actually uh, Elton John who was going to play the piano. So, yeah, <laughs> they mean, were they it, were both playing. So he, had, he yeah. got the wrong piano. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, but that, yeah, that's, but that's typical. The, 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 their age also, right? 
Yeah. Axel is is shitting on on Kurt's girlfriend and then Kurt and, and Courtney are shitting on his girlfriend because he has like the supermodel. But I mean, Courtney is kind of a, um, let's say a, a supermodel in behavior. And, and <laughs> that's <laughs> I mean, a very nice way of, to put it. It's the, sa- it's the same difference, right? I mean, <laughs> so again, they're sort of feuding over like how, how fake or whatever the other the other person is while they're basically doing the same thing just in a different way yeah yeah i think the most funny part about this whole story is that duff mcgagan wanted to fight chris novoselic because i think uh chris but especially duff i was always like this big 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 duff and i was guns rose fan but duff is like was my yeah and was my man and i think he's the nicest guy after after dave grohl in in rock history (laughs) You know, <laughs> so that he yeah. wanted to fight, he must, he must have been so drunk or in cocaine. <laughs> and and the whole idea of just one bass player fighting the other bass player yeah, 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 is sort yeah. of like so silly. the weirdest thing. <laughs> Who are those two guys fighting? We don't know because we don't know bass players. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was really silly, but I I think it pretty much resolved after after this. I mean. It, it went on just just a little bit more, but I think then they just chose to ign- ignore each other. The the serious fans make it really big because it's something uh, to hold on to or something. It's like you said, you're really a Nirvana fan, so Guns N' Roses is shit. So you don't want them to perform together anytime because this is the, the the story you have in your mind and this makes Nirvana even bigger and for some Guns N' Roses fans like Nirvana was stupid they couldn't play and there couldn't be in a, a way they they played together ever because then the story was gone and your hatred wasn't focused on anything anymore and <laughs> yeah so I think it's also a big thing the fans wanted to be uh, bigger than it actually was, I think. It's 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 like a legend now. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, by the way, uh, Duff McKagan later uh, apologized uh, to Chris. I think uh, years later, when he was uh, when he got sobered up, he wrote a column in the Seattle Times, and uh, one time he wrote that he was really sorry about what happened and uh, that uh, he couldn't remember half of it, something like that. When you read his uh, biography, he was. I can understand he couldn't remember half of it because sometimes he woke up in a city that he had to play that night and then he couldn't remember where, how they came there and, and then they played, had to play Tokyo. And one time he even woke up and he didn't know in which city he had to play that evening, but he played yesterday evening in Prague and he didn't remember anything. So I think wow. at those times they were like that. Yeah. Um, and he's an interesting guy, I think, Dev, because yeah. he, like you said in the beginning, he actually was from Seattle. He played in Seattle punk bands, but then he um, moved out to LA. And if he hadn't done that, he would probably be in one of those grunge bands. I mean, he'd probably be like the bassist for Soundgarden or something like that. Yeah, he tells us in, bi- in, in his biography, he even says that, that he, when uh, he didn't really like the atmosphere around Guns N' Roses and then grunge uh, got really big, that he felt a bit like, oh, I should have stayed there because then I could be in that scene because he was already a mu- musician in that scene. So it would be very uh, logical that he would end up in one band or the other. Later on, he did play with 
a lot of Seattle musicians, right? Like 10 years ago or something like that. I, I mean, I, I'm not familiar with all of his work, but I know that they did sort of did some super groove thingies and, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a lot. Of, he played in uh, Walking Papers, but I don't know if they're from Seattle. Uh, he played in uh, Neurotic Outsiders. He played, yeah, a lot of uh, Loaded, uh, his own band, uh, but it, which was a bit more uh, too grungy, I think. Yeah, and his punk rock roots. Yeah, he he was he was the perfect guy to be in the Seattle scene. Yeah, and then yeah, he left. He, <laughs> yeah, but he left, and 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 I think it was a wise choice in the end because he was like in the biggest band in the world, and he could do. The rest of his life, he could do whatever he wanted. Almost died, okay. But But part of the reason why he wanted to get away from Seattle was because everybody died because of heroin use, right? Uh, Yeah, and then uh, he came to LA, which was like total heroin and total... (laughs) They really really live like junkies. Like Izzy Stradlin, his band member, was the dealer and he took most of it himself and... They robbed prostitutes. One was fucking the prostitute and the other one was taking her wallet to buy drugs again. And it was crazy, crazy day. So it's even a strange thing. He didn't uh, went back immediately, but he stayed. Well, Cornel, you already mentioned uh, Duff McKagan's own band, Loaded. Um, and uh, they have made a song called Seattlehead. Yeah, it's about LA, actually. Yeah, it's about <laughs> LA. But yeah. to me, it feels like he wants to reclaim his... Uh, image and his title as a real Seattle guy, I think. I don't know if it sounds that grungy, but I must say that the uh, intro kind of reminds me of uh, Sandler's Apprentice. So, yeah, maybe it's a reference. Let's, uh, Let's check it out. Subtle as ever. Subtle as ever. <laughs> no, it, it, after he uh, sobered up, um, it went really wrong. I think his liver like exploded or something. Uh, then he sobered up and then he wrote these songs about the time in LA and he really hated it for a while. And I think he had good reason to hate it because it almost destroyed him completely. Wow. But I think in the end he was all right. Didn't he sort of recover from that? Yeah, he recovered, and then they started Velvet Revolver. And then he went down one last time, and but he went to go uh, uh, into boxing, and and he really uh, and he studied like he did uh, at, at the university. He, he got a grade in uh, a master in uh, economics, I think. So he also started this thing to help out young artists uh, to understand uh, because he was uh, ripped off by Axel and. Uh, the management all the time so no he, I, he really he really uh, got it together good for him 
Of course, he's even more closely related to the whole story of Nirvana because he was one of the last persons to speak to Kurt when he was still alive. They uh, famously sat next to each other uh, on the plane when they were both flying home to Seattle and they were friendly with each other then. So uh, so I guess Kurt was uh, okay with uh, Guns N' Roses again. Maybe not so much with Axel, but uh, we'll never know. And Delph got even more friendly with Chris because not only did he apologize to Chris for wanting to beat him up, but uh, they actually became friends, I think. Uh, A couple of years ago, uh, Chris was uh, organizing a fundraiser for uh, Susie Tennant, who was like a figure in the music scene there who got uh, seriously ill. Uh, And Duff decided to show up and play a song. And it's a song that is pretty familiar to, yeah, some people. My, my good buddy, um, Chris Novoselic over here, I'm fucking, I love that motherfucker. And uh, you guys, um, I've done my best to uh, to uh, try to put all these lyrics to my brain that is not functioning too well. So join in if you know the fucking words. <laughs> Have fun, smile, jump around. I wonder how many uh, Nirvana purists uh, listening now are thinking, ah, oh, that's, that's, that's terrible. That's a great version. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it has something, like the way he sings, it has something quite endearing to it for some weird reason. I love his voice, not as a, because he's a good singer, but I like how he pronounces words. And, exactly. Uh, and he's really had that punk rock thing to it without screaming. And yeah. you, you hear it's a nice guy for some reason. You hear him sing this is like, it's really sweet for some weird reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah like that. Yeah, like this sweet guy. But the song was better when Kurt did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I think nobody would disagree with that. <laughs> so are you guys ready for another Nirvana cover with uh, Guns N' Roses influences? Well, yeah. check out uh, the version that uh, Velvet Revolver did. Uh, like the supergroup with Slash and Duff, I think, from uh, Guns N' Roses playing Negative Creep.
I actually uh, like it. It's not the Nirvana version, but it's like Scott Wayland is also one of the big grunge voices, right? Yeah. Uh, from Stone Temple Pilots. So I, I think he's allowed to, to do this. And like Matt Sorum is on drums, also the uh, later Guns N' Roses drummer. And he's uh, real tight and he has this big heavy sound. And uh, you hear the guitars are more tight than Kurt used to play. Yeah. I think uh, Duff McGagan is one of the best bass players of that era, but also is Chris. So I think they don't, uh, re- they are interchangeable maybe a bit for this, but yeah, I, I actually like it. It's a bit more tight. It's a bit, sounds a bit more produced. It's a bit harder. And, uh, yeah, it's not the Nirvana song, but, uh, not Nirvana sound, what I really love, but I actually like this one. Yeah. It really brings out the, the metal in the song. Yeah. So in, in the end, I think everybody kind of got along, covered each other's songs and, and stuff like that. And of course, Dave became friends with Axel. And actually, um, did you hear the, of course, you know, could you please tell the story about <laughs> Dave, Axel and the Rock Throne? Yeah, the Rock Throne. It was the, the show where, uh, Dave with the Foo Fighters, he played and he, uh, I think he fell down the States and, uh, broke his, his, um, his leg. Everybody knows it. Everybody who listens knows it. If you're a Nirvana fan, you know this story, of course. And then he wanted to play, uh, play on the rest of the tour and he made this really big throne. I saw him play it in uh, Sigodome, I think. Maybe yep. you were there. I was there. Sitze. And uh, then he, yeah, he played in this throne. It was like this Game of Thrones thing, but with guitar hats sticking out and it was quite funny, actually. But he, he did amazing with it. And then uh, later on, Axel, he uh, had uh, like the same thing. He broke his leg. Yeah, he saw Dave doing that during the Foo Fighters tour. So he, he wanted to do something like that. And then he, I think Axel actually asked, can I buy your chair or re- uh, rent it? I don't know. And then Dave said, no, man, you can use it and uh, everything's fine. Just use it. And then Axel actually did like a big leg of the tour with a big leg. Yeah. <laughs> in in the tour on the chair of uh Foo Fighters yeah that's that's a funny story also because I heard uh, Dave just like a few years before that I think Eagles of Death Metal were in the uh, uh, opening for Guns N' Roses and they played and Axel didn't like it so he said uh, the shit pigeons of death metal or something and then they couldn't play anymore and then the the guys from uh, Eagles of Death Metal who were friends of uh, Dave Grohl, they, they told him and then he said, no, it's like the Medal of Honor in rock when Axel hates you. <laughs> this is like the Medal of Honor in rock and roll. So I heard them say that. And then there was this thing with the chair. So I yeah. think one or two years later. So I was a bit surprised, actually. I think later um, Dave and Axel, uh, Axel actually uh, performed together. Uh, he did some things with, with Slash uh, as well. So... Uh, they, they were all fine. This documentary is coming out soon. I don't know if you know this. I think it's in the van or something. Dave Grohl made the documentary about how every band started off in a van, driving around with just the band members and uh, living from a van. And he, that's it's ridiculous. You have to. You, I saw only the trailer, but he has U two, he has Aerosmith, he has Guns N' Roses, he has uh, no doubt every every band you know is in this documentary. So. Also Guns N' Roses. So I saw that Dave Grohl documentary and I saw Duff and Slash. So I, I thought, really, everything is okay now. Yeah. I can like them both. <laughs> <laughs> you you were right all along. I was right all along. <laughs> yeah, because, well, I, I, I don't know um, if you have any objections to this, but uh, I already uh, 
play the part of you uh, singing a Guns N' Roses song, what I have also lined up you singing a Nirvana song. <laughs> I, I contacted my brother, who, like like we said, is uh, playing in bands with you uh, for for ages now, and he's really uh, keeping like a like a file and really storing everything away, all every recording he's ever done and stuff like that. So uh, that means you can choose from either a recent performance of your of yourself or uh, the very first uh, recording session you ever did. I think the reason is uh, not that bad, actually. We, uh, we we played Drain You at the last show we uh, played. So I think we have to go with the other one <laughs> because uh, we, we were starting a band and I was playing bass. I bought the bass guitar in a store in the village we both lived in. And uh, your brother worked there. Yeah. So he saw me play the bass, uh, buy a bass guitar. And two weeks later, he asked me, uh, do you want to start a band? And I only knew like <laughs> three songs, like the first three songs on the Nevermind album. I think I knew them by heart. And he had a drummer who also noticed three songs and he knew them. <laughs> and uh, then we knew a guy who uh, had the stuff to make a demo tape. So he took it into the rehearsal room, was which was actually underneath your house. Yeah, you were rehearsing in my in my, in my parents' basement. You couldn't stand up straight. Yeah, so I was on this recording. We were really bad at the time because this was what we could do. We we only played for two weeks, I think, and I was playing bass. And then they said, "We don't have a singer, Cornel. You have to sing." And I'm 15 years old, and you hear my voice isn't as low as it is now. <laughs> It's really funny. I you you send it to me and I listen to it and I really enjoyed listening to it. I don't know the lyrics at all, <laughs> but uh, we play about a girl. Uh, that's uh, just as sweet as Dr. <laughs> that's sweeter. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think uh, it's, it's safe to say that you're actually like the Dutch Duff. <laughs> oh, I wish, I wish. I have the feeling that we haven't played that much Guns N' Roses in this episode. Any songs you want to highlight or point out? or I told you that I used to love her uh, thing, and that's because I, I uh, listened to your episodes, uh, your podcast, and I always hear you uh, talking about, and I, I love that, about uh, lyric writing. And when I saw the, the diaries of uh, Kurt Cobain, I saw my own writings at the time as a teenager, you know, really dark, never you want to be this this uh, depressed yeah, guy, you want to write about strange and, and disgusting stuff. And I, I think he was a great lyric writer, let's say that. But I think he uh, wrote many lyrics because the words sounded great. It was like yeah. Steven Tyler of Aerosmith said, my voice is the, the fifth instrument in the band. And I think uh, Kurt Cobain's lyrics, uh, just that word sounded better than the next word. Or uh, So sometimes it doesn't mean anything. And sometimes it's just uh, being really young and have this black humor. 
and I think uh, I used to love her from Guns N' Roses, is also like that. It's just this funny thing you want to sing. Uh, I used to love her, but I had to kill her. That's not bi- biographical at all. The the only difference is um, Kurt Cobain was more woke, so he wouldn't say, I had to kill her. <laughs> he would have made a girl kill a guy. Yeah. So that's yeah. a bit different. But I, I wanted to show that because I think this is the shows how young they were. And if you know some Nirvana lyrics, who also, uh, I think, are men funny. I, I think this is also the case. So I, it's not that good. It's just we have this funny idea and let's record it. Okay, here we go. This is almost like a like a murder ballad, you know, like like Johnny Johnny Cash style singing um, early one morning while <laughs> making the rounds. I took a shot of cocaine and shot my woman down. That's the start of a song. Yeah, it's like that. And I I also see them really sitting in the bus, just joking to each other and making up a song with uh, two three chords and doing this. And I think when when you discuss lyrics uh, from Kurt Cobain, you. Um, also, uh, you let us hear some uh, like old recordings where he had other lyrics. So he said, no, he really thought about it because uh, he changed the lyrics. But if I am songwriting, uh, I do the first version on a demo tape. It's like no words at all. I sing just words just to make up a melody and think, oh, yeah, this is great. Later on, I'm going to think of some. So I, I think Kurt Cobain did that all the all the fucking time. He just made up some words and people are now really thinking, oh, what was he say, uh, telling about? Because he means this with the song because first he said that. And I think he uh, didn't say anything with the first versions. That's my opinion. <laughs> so if you listen to this podcast, I don't think he says anything with the first version of any song. <laughs> uh, that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to edit this out. So that's uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, you I, may I, be I, right, but maybe um, he did come up with other words he thought that sounded better. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. I think it's it's often that I think because I I, I do agree with, with what you're saying, especially about the sounds. That's also why he has so much rhyme in his lyrics, and also why sometimes when he has older versions and newer versions, when he changes words, it will be different words, but they will have the same sound. So. Yeah. It was the sound he was going for more often than the exact meaning. Because yeah. it, I think, and that is something that I think is a difference with the songs of Guns N' Roses. I don't know what your opinion on that is, but like Kurt is often writing an idea. So like a song has an idea and then some lines will make sense and some don't, but you get sort of the feeling and the idea where... Um, Guns N' Roses more often have these little stories. They have like storylines in them and, and have like a beginning and a middle and an end and, and not just have an idea, but 
a journey of the main character and locations and 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 stuff like that. I, I especially remember being being like a high school girl and listening to to Guns N' Roses was so much different from listening to to Nirvana or or any other band that I was interested in, just because they had this sort of like nice romantic storylines that were really cool when you're like 12, 13, and you're like, oh yeah, oh this is this is nice. <laughs> so so different, but yeah. Yeah, I really agree. I, I'm a musician, but I really love uh, lyrics. When I listen to a new record, I immediately hear what they're saying. And Guns N' Roses is like, Axel's really strong in his lyrics, I think. He really describes the situations perfectly and his feelings. And he's really talking about his life and uh, how he thinks about things. And I think Kurt Cobain confused me the first time I listened to it because I didn't understand anything. Yeah, no. I swear I don't have a gun. But the rest I didn't really understand. But I loved it because the energy was good enough you know and it sounded great yeah so you're right that's that's a big difference between the two and uh yeah love them both love them both i was right <laughs> um Yudika, you put one song on the list for this episode uh, i think we you were being so modest that that that's a guarantee that it's going to get played <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> no i mean i just put one song on the list because i knew that cornell would have a whole list already uh there was just one song I thought would be nice to listen to a snippet of it, um, which is the song Raw Power, a cover originally by Iggy Pop and the Stooges. And Guns N' Roses did uh, a cover version of it on their cover album. And this is also the song that originally is on the Iggy Pop album that Kurt Cobain put in his list of his 50 favorite albums ever. I don't know if he liked this version, but uh, yeah. Yeah, let's check out uh, Iggy Pop's version first and then uh, yep. go straight into uh, Guns N' Roses' version. It's hard to cover Iggy Pop in general, I think. And the original has that David Bowie vibe going on, that, that 70s, more lower lower vibe um, that's happening there. Uh, he was involved in the, the recordings as well. And I think, interestingly enough, Guns N' Roses pick up on the punk vibe and expand on that and, and go more into the punk with a bit of a metal touch. Which is different. Um, I mean, I like the original more. The Guns N' Roses version would probably not be Kurt's favorite version, but they stay true to the original, but make it their own as well. So I think it's it's a fair version uh, of them to be to be doing like that. 
it's it's nice about the spaghetti incident album it's like many people even guns and roses fans don't really like it and i still have warm feelings for it because it was uh, chosen by duff all the songs it was from his record collection on the album he also wrote do yourself a favor and buy the originals and i was a kid was like so big a fan that i did it mm. and i i learned i learned to know so many good bands uh from the punk scene through this album so I, I still really enjoy it and i don't play it that much but there are some songs like this and the, the misfit cover and uh, i really still enjoy it yeah so uh apart from guns and roses you also like good music i love good music <laughs> but you don't you don't you don't really know guns and roses uh C2. well i've learned a lot so you're my you're my enemy for the evening <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I, I probably discovered a lot of music that I like because of you and the band. But do, do you own any Guns N' Roses albums? Uh, no, none. But you must you must buy Appetite for Destruction. Really, if you think about Guns N' Roses, and I love November Rain, but if you think like November Rain, Don't Cry, um, Knocking on Never's Door, then you still have to buy Appetite for Destruction. It's so raw and so... And metal meets punk rock uh so the lyrics are so good it's so so much energy that's pure and real that i i i'm serious you cannot not love that album it's the best album ever made ever ever yeah i, I checked it out on spotify <laughs> <laughs> but do you own any uh gnr records yeah uh, yeah 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 definitely i i was uh, i was definitely into them uh, back then my my cousin was actually a really big fan so uh, i got my first copies uh, through her i still have the uh, ep single of patience obviously because yeah that's what you buy when you're a 12 year old girl <laughs> right so i mean <laughs> That's how it works, and then and then you play it, and you think about all the cute boys uh, on in your school that you want to like dance with to that song, and that's yeah. Can I tell a funny story because you mentioned patience, and I don't know if you I, I requested the song also from Guns N' Roses fan point of view. We know they had like this fight with Nirvana, but the biggest thing was the fight between Axel and Slash. And uh, Duff was a bit in the middle. He quit Guns N' Roses, and he, but he never really got bad, uh, bad mouthing Axel. But Axel did, and uh, and 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 Slash did. They they hated each other, really, really. And uh, then you had to choose what was better. So Axel with the band with all these other guys, which was just like this cover band playing Guns N' Roses with the guy who sung it. And then you had Duff, Matt, and Slash who were starting Velvet Revolver. And there was this one time that I knew like Guns N' Roses really is more Slash than Axel even. The sound and the, the way he plays is when I... um tried to figure out how to play a fall to pieces that's a felt revolver song and i was trying to figure out figure it out on guitar and i was like i remember doing this like doing the same thing trying to figure out how to play this how how and then i remembered like on patience like really at the end of the record the song is already finished slash does this thing you just do i don't think he wrote it he just did it like and that is the same lick he made like a big hit with velvet revolver just from that thing <laughs> a thingy on the guitar you throw away wow and like axel spent years and years making a shitty album uh, called chinese democracy 
and then he just picked this one this throwaway thing on guitar and he wrote like a whole song and it's brilliant that makes slash the bigger man than axel is and now they're both gods again <laughs> because they played together but then when you had to choose that was the moment i knew slash was guns and roses and without slash it's not guns and roses without Axel, it isn't guns and roses but without slash it will never be guns and roses let's, so. let's see if we can uh, hear what you mean So it's just that last part, right? That last part. No, 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 no. Okay, now we go to Velvet Revolver. Have you ever heard the Chris Cornell version of Patience? No. No? It's pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking of it because uh, we haven't uh, listened to another band, a Seattle band, covering a Guns N' Roses song. Let's do that too. And then we're going to have to yeah. <laughs> put this episode to an end because I think it's already <laughs> the longest one we've, we've ever did. So here's uh, uh, Chris Cornell singing Patience. Yeah, I like his voice, of course. He's a yeah. great, great, great singer. And he has this emotional feeling in his voice all the time. Uh, the only part I don't like is where the drums hit in. That's what Guns N' Roses did live. They always did Patience with the drums. And I yeah. always thought that was a shame. And uh, they, he does it too. The if he left that out, it would be a real great version. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's that sort of awkward my first drum kit sound that yeah. <laughs> makes it feel amateurish for some reason um yeah. but i did i think i heard some in the chorus some new chords that he put yeah, in there yeah. it sounds more and more yeah. more blues chords in there that was interesting yeah. i think that's yeah. that yeah it's really enriching so yeah cool really nice cool so um what song should we end this podcast on Whoa, I, I, I forgot which songs I requested. 
can come up with every song you want to you want to hear right now. You think, well, that's the the best way to end a Nirvana versus Guns N' Roses podcast from a Guns N' Roses point of view. Get in the ring, motherfucker. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> The lyrics fitted even better than I thought. <laughs> right, well, uh, yeah. thanks so much for uh, bringing in this song and uh, for bringing everything else you did. It was a uh, was really a, a blast to have you on. Thanks a lot for yeah. joining us. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I listened to the podcast with yeah, I, I enjoyed really, and uh, it was really fun to be with you tonight. Yeah, so good to have you here. It's great. Absolutely. Um, of course, uh, I want to thank our uh, dear friend, Mr. Nirvana Piano, for playing our theme music. Maybe he can start a channel uh, called Guns N' Roses Piano, and then he would have a lot more uh, stuff to play. <laughs> and of course, uh, Yeditya, I want to thank you for uh, podcasting uh, with me uh, once again. Of course. And for uh, yeah, reminding us of uh, Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Always happy to oblige in that part. <laughs> and of course, uh, everybody out there listening, uh, thanks a lot, and we talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye bye.